Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Pulp podcast. This is a commission. Uh, it's a 1986 film, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, we have special thanks to Kira, a Bald Move fan, also one of our uh, top uh, Fred-level sponsors of our of our recent and no longer current uh, ongoing concern, uh, our Swiss Bold stuff. So she's back with some more Bald Move, critical Bald Move support. Uh, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, it's a 1986 science fiction film directed by Randall Kleiser, best known for directing the musical Grease. He's also done The Blue Lagoon, uh, Big Top Pee Wee, reuniting with Paul Rubin. We'll get to that. Screenplay by Michael Burton and uh, Matt McManus, based on a story by Mark H. Baker. Literal who's? I don't know any of these people. Uh, the pretty thin IMDb's. It stars Joey Kramer as David Scott Freeman. Uh, who also did Clan of the Cave Bear. If you were in, uh, you know, kind of like uh, advanced young adult literature in the 80s, you might be familiar with that role. Then he retired from acting, got in some trouble with the law. We might get into that, too. Yeah. Paul Rubens, Pee Wee himself, uh, here credited as Paul Mall. Um, right. Weird. Is the the voice of of Max. Uh, he also, you know, as you see him in all the Pee Wee, his uh, his uh, Saturday morning cartoon, his big adventure. He's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, good roles, late post masturbation roles in uh, Mystery <laughs> Man, Men and Blow. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is in this movie. Um, you know, you'll recognize her from Sex in and the City, Hocus Pocus and Ed Wood. Veronica Cartwright, who played a lot of moms in the 80s as Helen Freeman. Uh, she, we're actually going to be seeing her this weekend on Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which will probably be last weekend by the time you guys hear this, uh, on our watch parties on twitch.tv slash bald move. She's also in The Right Stuff, The Witches of Eastwick. Uh, she got a couple, I think an Emmy nomination for her work in the X-Files. Hmm. Cliff DeYoung, uh, who has made appearances in Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, as well as the uh, Civil War film Glory. And Howard Heisman, Hesseman? As Dr. Lewis Faraday, uh, who is best known as Dr. Johnny Fever from WKRP here in the Queen City, Cincinnati. Uh, we'll get the curious comments real quick. Jim, this is not the first time you've seen this film. Oh, no. Because we kind of kicked off the whole watch party phenomenon a year or two back with a run of like nostalgic first run movie or nostalgic movies. Uh, we did we did this. We did the last uh, Starfighter, I think uh, mm-hmm. a couple others. You, 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 uh, we, we also did uh, what was the Graboids one. Tremors. Tremors. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Tremors was a good was a great one. Uh, oh, yeah. But but you, this is the, 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 your second time seeing it. What do you think of this film? Oh, my second. No, this is not my second time. I've seen this. Oh, many I didn't times. know you'd seen. Oh, OK. I didn't know you had nostalgia for this film. Oh, okay. yeah. All no, right. I saw this when I was a kid. Um, This was like right in my wheelhouse came out in 86 i was born in 82 uh you know seeing it okay very shortly after it came out i i was like hell yeah this is awesome uh so i have a lot of nostalgia for this film i think it holds up remarkably well i know a lot of sort of family kids entertainment stuff from that era sometimes doesn't but this is one that i think even from a visual effects standpoint, though they were trying stuff that was sort of brand new at the time, it still holds up. The storytelling is good. I, I The thing that shocked me the most about this on this watch mm-hmm. is I I saw what they were doing and I, I know the plot, obviously. So I'm thinking, OK, this kid, you know, he falls down this ravine. He comes back eight years later. 
that if, if I'm thinking about what must have happened there, I'm thinking there's a time dilation effect. The And I'm like, there's no fucking way this Disney movie is going to go into time dilation and the, the, the faster than the speed of light stuff. And it does like 10 minutes later, the, the guy at NASA explains it. And I'm like, wow, this actually is a way more consistent, like logical movie than I expected. I thought it was just going to be and time warp shit happened. It, and now he's back. Uh, but no, it, it holds up really well. Yeah, I mean, this is a Disney family film. It's not The Expanse. But, like, I, too, was kind of impressed by the sophistication of the storytelling. The fact that, like, you're halfway through the movie before any flights of the navigators really begin. And the movie takes its time to kind of introduce the family and their dynamic. And Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid, just my mind being blown of, like, you know, like the dawning realization of what had happened to this kid and. I felt like it's it's really uh, great performances within the family. Like everyone kind of acts yeah. like or in a realistic way. I also like the fact that the government gets involved, but it's not like heavily militarized. It's scary by little kid standards because, you know, there's separation from your parents and, you know, maybe you not be able to get back home. And uh, some of the creature effects are like a little on the creepy side that the big giant blinking yeah, 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 eyeball. I remember kind of creeping me out as a kid. But I am a hugely nostalgic for this film. In fact, I looked up because I was, I was curious. The movie Goonies, Flight of the Navigator, Short Circuit, and Back to the Future all came out oh. within the two summers of 1985, 1986, and uh-huh. has so much influenced the type of person that I turned out to be. Like, well, I was going to say this movie feels like a combination of war games and back to the future. Like you get the, mm-hmm. the him in the military installation. I know it's NASA here, but like, right, that kind of vibe. But the back to the future, the setup of this movie is very much like back to the future. Like you go and see like you were talking about with all the family dynamics mm-hmm. and stuff. Right. And then they mix mm-hmm. things up by sending the kid into the future effectively. Yeah. No, it's it's really good. It's breezy. It's 90 minutes with credits. Yeah, uh, it also holds up like like Jim says it holds up. Um, I watched this with my kid when he was seven or eight and he ate this shit up like it works just because like none of the effects. There's a couple of the digital effects that you can tell they're composited and whatnot, yeah. but they still do the job. And yep. like the real set of the interior of the starship, I think, is really incredible. It's a very um, cool design. Just all these mirrored surfaces. I heard that was hell to shoot in. Because oh, I bet. Every angle is a mirror. There's no way you can hide shit. So, yeah, try to keep the cast and crew, you know, and the cameras right. and the mics out of the frame. Um but, but it yeah, looks like, cool. It's a really neat it, design. I've never seen anything quite like it. It feels alien. Like you can yeah. see like uh, the way you obviously are intended to pilot it. But like, you know, I don't think I'd ever seen a spaceship that wasn't recognizably like Radio Shack levers and switches and stuff. Where it's yeah. just felt like some kind of organic chrome substance that is like liquid metally. And they pulled all this shit off on the uh, with a, in a in a mid budget family film in, in the 80s. Uh, yeah. It's great. I, I don't want to spoil for it because I know, you know, with uh, our audience uh, being the same age as us, I know a lot of you people have uh, kids of your own. I know a lot of you probably got Disney Plus. Guess what? This is streaming free on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a great it's a great first science fiction film from anywhere from four to twelve. Um, uh, past that, they start getting into the fucking 
you know, modern warfare stage uh, and mm-hmm. uh, get this, start wanting to, uh, you know, get get a little bit more adult. But like, yeah, for for family film, it, it, it works uh, really well. Uh, I thought maybe we get to Kira's comments real quick and then we can talk about the movie uh, in detail. Kira says, uh, first, I'd like to say what a pleasure it's been having you two in my ears for the last several years. I joined the club somewhere at the height of the Game of Thrones when Googling for Game of Thrones podcast and I've been craving more of y'all since. I love the witty banter and your jokes. I'm sure my husband is tired of me saying so today. Jim and Aaron said, uh, <laughs> thanks so much for doing what you do. You are amazing at your jobs and bring joy to so many people. Wow. Is, I feel like I should be paying you for this. Uh, just imagine how many people have smiled or laughed out loud today from your podcast, but never write in. It's too much to think about, Akira. Uh, I hope you guys start penciling in more vacations for yourself. You deserve I, this. I, I think I, did you pay her to write this, Jim? I'm definitely not Kira under a pseudonym. I'm definitely okay. not. I, okay, I'm it's... Paul Mall here. Uh, so many podcasters do seasons, but you guys are nonstop with everything. Definitely take more breaks. We'll 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 see about that. Um, but anyway, on to the flight of the navigator comments. I grew up as a latchkey kid with two working parents, which meant most summers were spent indoors with just me and my older sister. We'd play and do crafts, but the day would usually wind down with video games or rewatching one of our mini tape from TV VHSs because we didn't have cable. Something I have in common. My dad wouldn't <laughs> to this day does not pay for cable. Smart uh, man. It was like till I was in my 20s before I actually experienced cable. I was born in 82 and had a small collection of videos I used to memorize and watch endlessly with poor commercial cuts, including Princess Bride Short Circuit, The Three Amigos, Jewel of the Nile, and my personal favorite, Flight of the Navigator. I recently rediscovered it on Disney Plus and was pleasantly surprised that both my five and nine-year-old kids really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to going down memory lane with y'all, and I'd love to hear what taped from TV, VHS, memorized lines you had as a kid. Uh, I mean, you're right in my wheelhouse. The Three Amigos, oh my god, the Invisible Swordsman, the plethora of pinatas, uh, the, uh, what's the other, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail got a lot of play at our house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Star Wars, uh, obviously. Star Wars, obviously. I, I also a, had my cousin had a mad. My cousin's family had a massive wall of tape from TV VHS tapes. Uh, Star Wars being chief among them. Every time I'd go over there, we'd watch Star Wars because it was, it was just so cool. Yeah, I had a lot of Star Trek: The Next Generation tapes um, nice. on those like big six-hour, you know, uh, the EPs the or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the extended plays. Uh-huh. 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 I love those things. Um. All right. Flight in the Navigator. If you haven't seen it, Flight in the Navigator is about a boy, um, twelve-year-old boy. Uh, he's got parents. They live somewhere in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I think somewhere uh, along the coast in Florida. And sometime in the late 70s, uh, this kid is sent to go check on his little brother who's at a neighbor's house. He walks through the woods. Very stranger things. I think about it. Uh, He sees some kind of like bright lights, falls down an embankment, dusts himself off and returns home to find there's old people living there. (laughs) Not his parents, not his turd faced little brother. Uh, And he finds to his horror that he has been reported missing for damn near 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and now his little baby brother is a strapping 16 year old Chad. His mom's got crow's feet. His dad's got gray in his hair. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what the fuck to do. NASA gets involved. Somehow a recovered spaceship gets involved. 
And it's just a nice power fantasy of a kid jetting around in a badass chrome hot rodded alien probe for half of the movie. And it's like I said, it's got scary parts in it. There's a little coming of age, little romance and and, you know, uh, dealing with the the opposite sex for the first time. Uh, There's also some heartwarming stuff about the 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 big little brother and the little big brother that I, I find entertaining. And everything in yeah. general turns out okay. You can always, I, I promise you can tell your kids it's all going to work out and it's not going to be a Bambi situation or anything. There's, it's, it's not that kind of Disney film. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk in detail about the special things about Flight of the Navigator. Um, what do you think about the kid's performance, Joey Kramer? I think he's great. I think he's he really exactly is. what I needed him to be in this movie. Um, he kind of does that great job of playing that 12 year old. And I just gone through this with my son who's, who's turning 15 very soon, but that like 12 year old is where you start to kind of round the corner from being a kid. And, you know, I can even remember like when I was in my 12 years old and I would like sit down to like play with my toys and I'm like, why isn't this doing it for me anymore? Hmm. You know, um, like what, there's this thing where this kid kind of like ponders, like, I don't, I don't know what I want out of life anymore. I feel little misplaced, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> it did seem weird for a 12-year-old, but it, you shouldn't be that angsty yet. But, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're like, uh, you're, you're noticing girls, but you also feel like you're a dork. And I, I felt like he really nailed that. And there's a couple times where he has to be kind of terrified, sad for his parents. Um, uh, and he plays that. And sometimes these kids that, can come off as insufferable, you know, like uh, the you got Pee Wee Herman mm-hmm. as this alien robot and this 12 year old kid that could be a lot. Yeah. But uh, this director, I think, had a really good eye for the family dynamics and, you know, exactly how a kid should behave in these situations. He never feels like wise beyond his ears. It's, it's just a really great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know about some of the tragedy that's befalled this kid since he's grown up? Yeah. Um, I watch a YouTube channel called Serial at Midnight occasionally that had interviewed Lisa Downs, who is the director and writer of a documentary called Life After Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which goes into like, you know, the making of Flight of the Navigator, but also a lot in Joey Kramer's life and uh, his life after Flight of the Navigator, which, ooh, he's been in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble with the law over the years. I remember the first time I was reading about it and I'm like, okay, some drug abuse and, uh, you know, he's like uh, improper storage of a weapon. That's not yeah, so bad. And then like bank <laughs> robbery. What? Right. Oh my God. He's yeah. guilty to yeah, uh, robbery while, you know, wearing a mask or whatever. It's like, oof. okay. Your he's life went to some it. dark places and apparently it did like drugs and yeah, you know, yeah. the usual stuff, but also then some unusual stuff like robbing banks. Have you seen Life After the Navigator? I haven't seen it. I wish I would have had time to get it in before this. But I wish I knew like, because, you know, usually that's the, the deal. Like, you know, we watch the movie, we think about it and we do a little bit of research. But like uh, in, in covering that, I'd found out that because mm-hmm. uh, this uh, the last time we watched this, I think it was in 2018, where we had known like he had just robbed the bank. Like this stuff, had just went down like 2016, 2017, the worst of it. Yeah. Um. So, like, I didn't know about it. If I did, I probably would have watched it. I, I, it's on my must-see now list, along mm-hmm. with the Bob Ross documentary, documentary that just came out. 
But yeah, it's kind of a bummer that he had uh, this big promising role, uh, Clan of the Cave Bear, and then he kind of disappeared off the map. They said retired, but like, I don't know what all twists and turns led him to rob him to bank, but it's too bad because he's a, you know, uh, kind of borderline Macaulay Culkin role in this movie where he's just really Mm -hmm. good and I think kind of iconic too. Uh, And then let's talk about Paul Rubens. Uh, he's definitely a big part of this. Uh, yeah. He plays like for half of, you know, he, he again, the spaceship doesn't show up until the halfway point of this film. Mm-hmm. And or I guess, you know, like you don't get to see it. And from that point forward, like half of the film, he plays a straight man robot where he's just, uh, you know, David, what are you doing? Compliance, affirmative, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he does a brain scan of this kid and then he turns into Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, he essentially turns into a little kid. I love I love that because I hadn't I don't think I had found out about Pee Wee. I think that's like, you know, his show and the movie and all that comes out next year or maybe late this year. So I saw this film without knowing who Pee Wee Herman was. And it's all me and my sister could talk about. Like, you know, he's just so fucking zany and all over the place and fun and self-referential and just the, you know, it's. I don't know. Pee Wee Herman. He's a lot of fun. Uh, spoiler. Uh, I thought, I thought he's a great, he's, he's a great fit. He, he took the role seriously, both halves of it. Like he's a very convincing kind of aloof, detached intelligence and then melding with the boy's spirit. I, I thought that that works really well. Wow. Yeah. I guess 86 is the breakout year for Pee Wee Herman. Uh, he did this and his show started Pee Wee's playhouse in 86 ran for four years but in the meantime he was also doing the movies like you said that's that's wild i yeah. didn't know they were happening simultaneously yeah this was like the year for him yeah one of the bonus questions kira had for us is like what is the deal you know like uh when she watched it as a kid she just figured that uh you know part of the thing was like the robot listening to television and radio and peewee is a kind of a big thing. And she just assumed that like, uh, they were, there was a person pretending to be peewee. Uh, the guy's credited as Paul mall. Right. Um, and apparently she says, so she basically want to know, like I now found out that it's actually Paul Rubens, the peewee Herman, mm-hmm. you know, what is the deal with him doing the peewee voice? And I guess it's a, it's, a, it's kind of a complicated story. Uh, Paul Rubin developed this character in the late 70s, w- working with um, kind of an upright uh, citizens comedy brigade uh, in a different state. And uh, one of the people that was the alums is uh, uh, Phil Hartman. Hmm. And actually, I guess he and Phil kind of workshopped this character. And in the early 80s, he started doing like comedy routines based on this peewee guy. And, you know, wearing the iconic suit and doing the ha 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 and all that stuff. And it was like a big hit in the college crowd and stuff. And he kind of developed this kind of Andy. It's Andy Kaufman or okay. yeah, Andy Kaufman, right? Sure. Uh, kind of yeah. like developed this kind of following um, that kind of grew. And he had this kind of like um, method to it that he wanted people to think that this was a real person, not a character. So all the interviews and press he did, he invented a fictitious backstory for this guy. He would never be filmed like he never wanted public. Uh, so he wanted to become this peewee character, which is why um, I guess, you know, the zany voice people that not quite sure because he was more of an adult kind of material with this very kind of like kid friendly. 
And a couple producers saw it and was like, hey, it would be great to have this voice as the robot. But because he was really serious about this Pee-wee being this distinct character, he changed his name so there'd be no confusion between, you know, gotcha. the Pee-wee Herman role and his, act, you know, like this actor who's doing a bit. Uh, so that's kind of why he's not credited as himself or Pee-wee and why he's doing the voice, but it's not exactly Pee-wee. It's very Pee-wee-like. Yeah. He was trying to, you know, get to Disney cash, but also keep his Pee-wee pure. <laughs> but you can tell there's like, look, we fucking hired Pee-wee Herman. You're gonna yeah. laugh like Pee-wee. If you don't fuck, get yeah. in front of this microphone and laugh right now like Pee-wee Herman or your contract's canceled. Because at one point he does 80s. do the laugh. That's a big thing in the 80s. Like, you got a funny voice, like Gilbert mm-hmm. Godfrey. I'll Good put Bob you in Cat a comic. Goldway, yeah. Bobcat Goldweight. Yeah, get you on Police Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, apparently there's also a little bad blood between Paul Rubin and, uh, um, uh, uh, shit, who's the parrot guy? I just said his name. The parrot uh, guy? Gilbert Godfrey. Oh. They were they were competing for the same slot on Saturday Night Live and Gilbert got him with a very similar shtick because he you know he's doing the Monster Man voice, Pee Wee's doing the Pee Wee voice. And I guess I really pissed off Paul Rubin <laughs> that he got skipped over. And uh maybe mutual too, because I, I remember got, Gilbert Godfrey got in a little bit of hot water making fun of Paul Rubin public masturbate indecent exposure thing in the early nineties, which kinda led to his downfall. It it's, it's essentially destroyed the Pee Wee character for him. It's unfortunate. Can, but, can we uh, talk about that for a second? I, I want to sure. talk about troubled uh, Hollywood stars for a moment because we talked about Joey Kramer stuff. Pee Wee Herman obviously got in trouble for masturbating in a movie theater. Was that an adult theater or was that just a regular ass movie theater? It's an adult theater. Like what it's the like fuck? the deuce. I do. What are we doing here? Are, we're prosecuting people for doing things like am I going to get prosecuted for going to McDonald's and eating a hamburger? Because that's essentially what he was doing. Right. Right. I mean, I'm not around children. I'm with uh, right? everyone that's in this jerkatorium is consenting to this type because yeah. everyone's doing it. I, I it's 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 gross. Like you see when, you know, when things get when people get ground up by this kind of shit, you think of people like Britney Spears, you think of people mm-hmm. like Paul Rubin. It's just, you know, especially nowadays, back when I was, you know, a yeah. little bit more conservative. I'm like, well, shit, man, don't jerk off in public. But now it's like. That's such a minor thing to lose, like literally hurting no one. Have it ruin uh, your life. Yeah, that's ridiculous. To, to, to ruin your life and be embarrassed by it. And also like it's also like I think it's kind of your borderline irresponsible for the adults to report on it because this guy's a bull. It'd be like Captain Kangaroo jerking off. Yeah. You know, do you want I don't I, you know, if I'm a kid. I don't I don't want to hear that on John, Johnny Carson making Captain Kangaroo jokes and shit like that. Like and the kids I, don't I need don't know. to know. They'll never know until they get older. Like and then it'll be <laughs> fine because that's a thing they've been doing for 15 years. So, yeah, it turns out, you know, Paul Rubin turns out. OK, he's had a, a yeah. decent career since then. But oh, my God, they really drug him through the, to the mud on that. He's in uh, what we do in the shadows in one of those episodes. Right. Is he really? He's I, one of the vamp. Nice. I, I, I don't know if he's a vampire. I can't remember. But yeah, he's in that show at some point because he, he plays like a Renfield type in the Buffy, the cinematic version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. OK, that makes um, sense. And, uh, you know, he, he that's the thing. It's like he played a lot of creeps. Yeah. Post yeah. Jer- the jerk off thing, you know, like uh, what is he like the zit or the fart or something? And mystery men, he's got a lot of these pimples and he's just like, hmm, you know, know, it's a slimy, creepy. He just leans into that. Sarah. And I think that's how he crawled out of that hole. I like, well, this is how you see me. I'm just going to ram it down your fucking throats. 
yeah um, like a william shatner career turn right if i'm if i'm cheesy yeah. and i'm ridiculous okay well that's what i'll be and you'll love i want to do it twice as much so i wonder I, I was thinking about this i wonder what the most troubled cast in any hollywood movie is like what is the cast with the most people who got post <laughs> oh, that Jesus. after that movie got into trouble with the law or or it's gotta got be into any drugs. of those like any of those kid roles with Corey feldman and river phoenix and oh, like well stand like yeah anything yeah. from the stand by me era uh come on will Wheaton, if, if you can just get in a little trouble with the law you can make <laughs> stand by bit. me the number one troubled cast movie <laughs> yeah 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 it'd be four for four damn <laughs> oh no i guess uh jerry o'connell uh, i think is yeah fine you're married rebecca romaine that's not a scandal did he that's that's scandalous because I, I would i want to come on jerry don't hog it all um i thought there's a lot of interesting choices in the beginning of the film that i think work really well because like you know you see the trailer when you're a kid and you, you're showing up and you're expecting the flight of the damn navigator and like the movie opens on this like classic chrome ufo gliding through the air and yeah. then a dog snatches it out of the air and you realize it's a Frisbee. And I thought that was like really funny, you know, just like a little like, again, I was like yeah, you're, you're just settle down. You're going to be in for a ride. And then they do it again. Five minutes later, With the blimp, you're like, OK, this is going to be the navigator and this big. It's like Independence nope. Day, this big menacing shadow coming over. Look, it's just a fucking fucking Goodyear blimp. I thought that stuff was really funny. Uh, and I wonder yeah. how it plays with kids because did you, did the kids get that like oh yeah here's a spaceship and then ah and they do it with a water tower too later they, they he's like walking in the, on the train track or whatever and there's a water tower shaped like a big UFO yep. yeah yep. it looks like ET close encounters they knew what they were doing it's it's really good I do have to question why the blimp passes so close to the ground that like it shakes because I mean blimps don't I imagine have a lot of uh propelling force i don't know how you could get a blimp to like buzz a crowd but yeah I, they do it in this Unless movie it's landing or taking off yeah, yeah. you would think that it would be you know a little bit uh, uh higher up in the air Th- this opening scene is is cool and fun but it's so weird right it's like it, this was a thing in the 80s i feel like it's a not really connected scene to the rest of the movie. It's just a fun way to open a movie with yeah, this. Like, like, what would families be doing in the mid eighties for Fourth of July? Yeah, this slow motion dog uh, frisbee catching or disc throwing competition. Uh-huh. Um, it it's just like you know, in a, a movie that's set in California, you might have like a a couple of stock images or videos of surfers out mm-hmm. on the waves, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go to the beach and it has nothing to do with the surfers. It's just, yeah, that's where they are. Yeah. It's a little Ed Wood, right? Like you've got like, cause that's how he did it. It's like, he would uh, have this random stock footage of like an octopus in the water. And like, Oh, I'll be, you know, it's like, hey, I got, I got a bunch of B roll of this, uh, dog Frisbee competition. Mm-hmm. That'll be the first five minutes of the film. That'll be just a credit sequence. Um, but it's it fun, works, but yeah, disconnected. I related because my dad was always looking for like low budget family fun shit like that. Like, oh, let's go to the mm-hmm. Apple Butter Festival. Oh, let's go to the Doc Dive competition. Oh, let's go to the Civil War reenact. Just like all the little local shit that's happening. You know, it's not uh, my my youth was not filled with like Disney worlds and 
big family road trips like that is more of like, hey, let's tour a dairy, a dairy farm and stuff like that. So, like, you know, I felt like, yeah, getting getting drugged to and it's awesome. Who doesn't want to, you know, see dogs catch Frisbees with their mouths and the kid like immediately because that's the other thing is, is like every time my dad would do that, like I briefly like want to do that thing. You know, if you had I can see like having a dog be like, oh, yeah, we're going to. You know, me, me and you, Rufy, we're going to be world champion Frisbee players. Come on, like the having those little fantasies and stuff. Um, oh, yeah. They really <laughs> nail like, honestly, this family is wholesome as fuck. Like the the little kid is a brat, but in the way that little kid brothers kind of are. Yeah. And the family kind of like takes it in stride. They're like, you know, trying to teach the kid, well, you know, you're the adult. And like, he's kind of like, I feel like they have a good rapport. Like the dad catches him uh, telescoping some young girls on the dock. And instead of being like, <laughs> what the fuck are you peeping? He's like, ah, noticing girls, huh? What's, you know, let's talk about it. Maybe you should try instead of like going into the perv route. Maybe you should try <laughs> talking to like, it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, we talked about a couple of the actors. I want to talk about one that's just a cameo um, that I recognize because I'm a big zombie fan. Uh, the guy who owns the the couple who owns the house, the dude, uh, the couple who owns the house in the future when he goes, gotcha. and, oh, it's not my house anymore. Mm. Uh, that dude is the doctor from Day of the Dead who's like working with Bub. Try oh, and yeah. educate him. The, the smart zombie. Yeah. I saw him. And I was like, oh, sweet. And I guess that was only a year after uh, Day of the Dead. So I, I don't think he had a huge career after that. I don't know. I haven't seen him in anything else aside from these two movies. Um, There's so much I like about this beginning. Like I said, the framing of it blew my mind and it was nothing like I was expecting. You know, the idea that like he does all that flight of the navigator navigator stuff in yeah. like the one second of falling down the hill. Right. And he gets back and yeah, I remember like I, cause I, it's funny. Ronnie Reagan visited our hometown of Mooresville, Indiana. Uh, either. I can't remember. It was an 80, like, uh, no, it was an 85. It was like the year before. So like, I don't think I would have known a year before who the fucking president of the United States was, but I was all hopped up because yeah. it was a big event. My dad, you know, we, we all went out to, you know, my, I'm on my shoulders. I'm seeing this old guy and they're like, that's the president of the United States. And so when there's like, you know, who's the president, he's like Jimmy Carter. I remember like, Oh fuck. Well, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I was actually appreciated that what the fuck that meant. Like before, cause it's like one they, they do like this elegant Martin th- three step reveal where it's like, well, okay, mm-hmm. the guy's there. These old folks are in his uh, house. What the fuck's going on that? Uh, you know, the girl asked him, you know, like, uh, I forget what the question, but they're like, who's the president? Who do you think is the president right now? He's like, Jimmy Carter. Duh. It's 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 cool. Uh, I like how that all plays out. And everyone, you know, like I, it's the other thing is like um, none of the adults are stupid. Like the the old people don't really freak out any more than they have to because it's a twelve year old you know uh, running around their house acting crazy and then the cops come and they're pretty reasonable they don't like jump mm-hmm. to conclusions right away but they're like you know we got to figure this out maybe it's a misprint maybe just a whole and ending up to where I think it's a great scene where they go up to the dad's house where they're living now. And, uh, you know, you see like recognizably it's his dad. So he jumps out of the cop car and he runs up to him, but then he gets there and his dad's like old. Yeah. And like, they play like the horror like notes. Cause like, I remember that mm-hmm. as a kid, like that being like, what the fuck is going on? 
uh, and the kids reaction, the parents reaction, like how happy they are, but also it's fucking weird. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I, I loved how they handled that. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not, you know, it's not even like, I guess at that point, it's not even like what happened here anymore. You realize, oh, there's been some time switcheroo thing here, but like, how did it happen? Right. Cause they haven't even shown you anything about this alien yet. So, yeah, the idea that like all of this happened off screen in the time that he was gone uh, is is kind of impressive, I think, for a kid's movie from the 80s. It's I don't know. They're doing a lot more heavy lifting here than I expected them to do. Yeah, because like you don't usually see like these two disparate threads because like so they 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 the first 20 minutes is all about that. Then they cut away to like the spaceship that's crashed. Mm hmm. And the spaceship looks amazing. Like all the physical yeah. props, like really look cool. Like whoever designed the spaceship is fucking iconic. Yeah. And there's a great, like the special effects are so good because there's this one scene where like, God, how are we going to get this back to base? And the security guy is like, we'll get a load of this. And he just shoves it and it like floats on the field. Mm -hmm. I mean, you couldn't do a better job of having that chrome ass spaceship hover on a field today. Yeah. I don't know what kind of invisible crane wire or dolly tracking shot they did it, but it just like, utterly convincing and then the way they weave that back together that like you know they're trying to figure out what happened to this kid you know like what well, is something wrong with his brain and you know they run this 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 brain scan on him and it generates this like three-dimensional schematic of the starship which then of course national intelligence gets a hold of and gets nasa so it, it's they, they they have these diverging storylines and then it branches back together and like you said out of nowhere in the mid eighties are talking about time dilation and the right. effects of time travel. And that stuff is, is cool. Like that's I mean, really, very modern. The, the biggest flight of fancy here, I think is the idea that you could scan his brain and get some subconscious thought pattern out of it. That would be readable by a computer at the time. Right. Uh, that, that's probably like the wildest thing they do, but the rest is True. pretty solid science. You know, if there were an alien craft that could go faster or near the speed of light, you would have time dilation. They figured that all out and they use it in this movie. It's crazy. Yeah. And there's a lot of great scenes too. Cause like at first you think the NASA guy is a friendly guy and you know, he's giving him the kid all, you know, all this NASA gear and how cool would it be to be in a, like a dorm room at NASA and you've got the space shuttle and the, you know, official astronaut hat and all that stuff. But then they lock him in and that's scary, right? Oh yeah. But they meet Sarah Jessica Parker and she's mm -hmm. nice and kind of like, you know, appropriately, like that kind of like bedside manner nurses have where they're she's not flirting with him, but she's also like, yeah, you know, it's for one scene is borderline. Is it a little I, weird I, for me? But which one are you talking about? The one it's the one where tells, it, yeah, she's like standing at the door and she's about to leave and she says something to him like. Uh, commenting on his his looks like that was the weird part kid. of it. Yeah. Has anyone ever, has any woman ever, yeah, that's a little groomy. I it, it was a little weird, but the rest uh -huh. of it is, yeah, very wholesome, and I, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, but then they should, they hook him up to the NASA brain scanner, and the NASA brain scanner is able, it's got, like, they say it's got higher bandwidth or whatever, so it's, like, pulling star charts and shit. It felt like, kind of like that, um, the beginning of Stargate, where they're realizing, like, the true implications, and... Yeah, or you know, contact, right? Or contact, yeah, we're like, oh my god, we're talking about vast interstellar uh, distances here. Mm -hmm. And then that the the scientist is like, 
because they promised the kids like, hey, in 40, we're just want to keep him for observation for 48 hours and then we'll figure everything out. And he's like, you know, ominously says 48 hours isn't going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And that's like I remember as a kid, like, you know, like that's scary because like, God, now this kid's a hostage. And yeah. the way he busts out of that using like, again, we haven't really gotten into the spaceship much like we cut back a few times where NASA's trying to cut open the blowtorch and like it's indestructible. There's no seams in it. Um, this kid's also being called by Pee Wee Herman. Like mm-hmm. there's like some kind of alien language in his head. That's kind of, so he talks Sarah Jessica Parker into using this male robot, which, you know, those are, we still, we just now are getting those types of robots, but in the eighties, we didn't know how far away we were. Yeah. I remember that being cool. Like him being smuggled out, um, by the robots, which what's will also, isn't there a doctor who robot that's a lot like this is called like dog pet or something. Canine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It reminded me of that. It's like a like a giant headless version of the canine mm-hmm. assistant. Um but that was kind of cool. And then then you get to the navigator where like he's in front of the starship and I just remember how cool it was that the ship just deformed and yeah. melted into a hatch. And like you'd never seen that before. You know, you'd seen hatches open and like the, the most sophisticated thing is the doors on Star Trek that psh but like something dissolving and reforming and the, the practical set like though they do a really good job of showing these like floating, hovering silver steps that are real, you know, those were the coolest part to me. Like the, the morphing is one thing I'm like, wow, that's neat. But then the disconnected levitating stairs, I I don't know that. I don't know why that stuck with me, but that is like a very cool image because like I remember as a kid thinking that like maybe they would wobble and being surprised that they Mm -hmm. were like rock solid. And then as an adult realizing that's because it's a prop. But I think (laughs) as an adult, I was thinking like it's actually more impressive that they don't move at all. Like there's this. Yeah. Like this like anti-gravity thing is so rock solid that it might as well be like a steel stepladder that you're going up and down on, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and everything's like just coolly detailed. Like there's a little swirl pattern in the metal. Like it's not like, you know, the outside of this thing is a smooth and featureless and aerodynamic, but the inside is just like fucking crusty with all these chrome things and uh, lights and stuff. It's, it's just a really neat design. Um, and the way that and the inside star- changes too, right? Like the, the chair for David comes up out of the floor and it can be, you know, recalled. And then you've got different pieces that come up for the navigator to navigate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool design. It, it's, it's this multi-purpose kind of design um, that I guess I had seen before, right? It, it's like akin to Knight Rider um, because at one point it goes into, I, for, I forget what mode it's called. Super pursuit mode. Yeah, baby. Or like, <laughs> yeah, for, for uh, kit. Sure. Oh, for I, kit. I, oh, I'm talking about the class the one maneuver, the class one yes. maneuvering, uh, class mode. one maneuvering mode. It's, it very much reminded me of Kit transforming and, you know, getting getting ready to jump or whatever it's going to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was cool. And that, yeah, the Starship interior is just like a beautiful example of like an 80s sci-fi aesthetic that is iconic and I've never seen copied anywhere. Yeah. Why? It's so cool. <sighs> Maybe it's like you just can't do it. Better. Maybe it's because it's just a giant pain in the ass to shoot in that like, too. Yeah, because it, it looks futuristic and alien and cool and slick and smooth. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also like analog inputs. Like I said, the like the little hover pads that he uses to fly like are intuitively. Um, 
I just remember that. It's like, God, I used to uh, in the backseat of the car pretend like I could do like a kind of surfing thing. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's just it's very, very cool. Max himself, the design of that, like this yeah. articulated head that's got like just enough like flaps and doodads that it can kind of show surprise and sorry it can droop its head sorrow and it's got the like light in the middle that can kind of change the show emotion um it's amazing how little articulation you need to get like that kind of humanity out of the inanimate objects performance but i think that too is iconic like it oh, yeah. cracks me up every single time like the boy is standing at the hatch and you see that like head swivel into place and you know you know, Pee Wee Herman's like, ha ha, butthead, or whatever. Uh, it, cra- it, it cracks me up every time. Yeah, the design decisions they make are so good on that ship, which, to me, like, puts it, puts it into stark contrast, the, the, the food-delivering robot, the male robot, because right. that thing is designed for the purpose of the film, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know all of it is, technically, but the thought that they've put into the ship far exceeds the thought they put into that male robot because in the mm-hmm. male robot they have a slot in the front like a like a visor slot so he can just like look outside of it right there's absolutely no reason for that to be there on a male robot and yeah. yet they put it there because they needed him to do that in the plot or they wanted mm-hmm. him to the sh- the other ship the, the actual ship feels real feels like it's in this world and it just exists and there's nothing artificial about it to like support david it's just that's the ship yeah and like i said the vast majority of the effects in this ship the the anything that doesn't involve like the ship transforming or in motion is all practical as far as i can tell yeah and because of that it's one of those things like if you do it all that shit in camera just doesn't it's always going to look as good as it looks for better or worse Mm-hmm. And all that stuff looks amazing. I think that uh, Max's alien menagerie is cool. Like when yeah. he goes to check his data banks and like that wall like melts open and there's like all these different cages because that's that's a great. It's also like this is some good high sci fi concept stuff like the, the advanced alien race. Probably is not going to physically explore the universe. They're going to send probes like we do to cap mm-hmm. to get samples and to learn about stuff that way because it takes too fucking long. And, you know, uh, I, like, I think that's the very first time I've ever thought about it. Like, oh, this is an unmanned alien probe sent to Earth to study it. And not just Earth, all these places that are rapidly visited. And then, you know, I thought that was a cool idea, too. Yeah, that I, think I they call it a Trimaxian drone ship, I think. And he mm-hmm, nicknames mm-hmm. it Max. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't think about the idea that, yes, it's just a drone. It's not. So I wonder what the race that made or the species that made this ship looks like. If they ever do right. sequels or anything like that, I'd love to see maybe not their home world, but at least one example of that alien race. Have you heard they're remaking this Disney's greenlit? Uh, not a, re- a sequel, but a remake. And I'm like for the last 12 years. Yeah. This thing has been in oh, has it development been hell or something. I, I don't mm. know how a movie owned by disney made by disney distributed by disney could be in development hell you either do it or you don't like Uh uh-huh 12 years 2009 is when they talked about this thing being in development i don't know uh maybe uh joey kramer sent in a uh like a hostage style note saying i'm gonna i'm gonna come to the production i'm gonna blow it up if you i don't know he did some crazy crazy you're right you're right there's like not a lot of like conflict here but on the other hand i 
I don't know why you would reboot it. Just do a sequel. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I want to see another Flight of the Navigator, which is like, I don't know if you, you know, need to get the, the David Freeman character back or whatnot, but like, there's nothing wrong with this film that it needs to be remade, man. The special effects still hold up. The cast mm-hmm. is great. Uh, the script is a way beyond being good enough for what it is. Just do another one. Do you could do a prequel? You could do a sequel. Um, but yeah, remaking it. I, I mean, I, fine. I guess why not? But like, God, there's just so much lazy shit going on at day, Disney right now. This live action remake, and now just just remaking another live action remake. I, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it. I wish they'd just make another one. I think they could still get Pee Wee Herman to do the voice of Max. Like I imagine, all these drone ships. Old would have the same voice right yeah Why yeah he they? definitely could still do it like i said i it is wild because i always think of paul rubin as like eternally 40 but he's almost 70 years old now are you kidding me 69 years old i nice. guess yeah if he was a full-grown man in the 80s in the mid 80s he'd have to be pretty old at this point yeah Damn, um, but he played so childlike and like, yeah, uh, more like, you know, he could have been anywhere from like 16 to 40 when he was in his like peewee big adventure mode because mm-hmm. he's like wearing a ton of makeup and um, but I don't know. I, I thought the scene like my some of my favorite scenes in the movie are him tear assing around in class one maneuvering mode. Yeah, the plunge into the ocean because he wanted to go someplace where because he kept on like, you know, like little kids like just give me 20 miles from here. Well, that gives you five minute, a five minute scene and then the helicopters are there. It's like, I'll oh, take us to where they can't find us. So he goes under the ocean. And that's like this fact that like it was a neat idea. And I feel like that's the one thing I would want out of the next movie is like more navigate, like, t- like take this thing into the stars, man. Yeah. Uh, it was very earthbound, surprisingly yeah. earthbound for a movie Sur- about an alien spaceship. <laughs> but it's all about the kid wanting to get back to, to his home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like all the like I thought all the the alien designs were cool. The alien like it's like the joke about the alien having a cold and he's just covered in that slime. That was funny. Mm-hmm. I always thought the the uh, Pookmarin little uh, I don't know trapeze little alien. I thought that that thing was always cute. Even though yeah, like when I watch it, like I feel like it's a kind of an ugly. It's not. It's it's uh, when I was a kid, I thought it was amazing, but now it's like this is kind of a grotesque little grub creature. Uh, yeah, it is, but. I don't know. I thought it was cute. Uh, my wife seeing this, I think for the first time last night, uh, also thought it was cute. So. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I guess I was like, hey, I got adult eyes. I might as well see. What do I think? Oh, it's kind of gross. But yeah, I remember thinking it was really cute. The, <laughs> it is. It's basically size. three hands and a head. It's pretty fucked up when you actually look yeah. at it. But yeah. And it like it's it's he like mashes it into the button and it's kind of like <laughs> it's, it's right. just comic relief. Um, but I, I thought it was also really like the, the emotional core of this movie of, um, like this little brother who does something shitty to his older brother and he disappears and he's gone and, and he's kind of dedicated his life into fulfilling his brother's dreams. Like he's trained a dog mm-hmm. to be a champion, you know, like a, like a very good Frisbee thing. And he's kept the box of fireworks that they're going to set off just in case he came back and he keeps that flyer in his back pocket. That's the illegal shit. That's the, the shit from yeah. the 70s, yeah. man. You can't get you that in cr- 86. 
you had to cross the line in the in Alabama or Georgia to get that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the fact that like when he calls and he's wanting to come home, but he you know of course you're a kid. Like how the fuck are you gonna you know you're 200 miles away in a spaceship? How are you gonna get back home? Yeah. Uh, Max doesn't know what the fuck Fort Lauderdale is. So, but there's that the brilliant idea is like I'll set the fireworks off at the on the roof, and it's a great scene. Where he's flying mm-hmm. all over the place, and the one place setting off fireworks. Um. And the the geeks when you know they, they he calls them geeks, but when he you know hovering over this car full of uh, punks, I I don't know what they are. I, I don't right. remember what they looked like, but uh, th- those scenes were funny, like the gas station, right? When mm-hmm. you know he stops and and goes in and gets a bite to eat big or whatever. Al, big Al's gas station. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the dude's just standing there, awestruck by this ship. And uh-huh. this oblivious, you know, tourist family who thinks this is a tourist attraction and mm-hmm. like, it's good. It's good. Yeah, Indian, Indian village isn't much to write home about, but this stars, you got something <laughs> here, buddy. Right. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's really funny. It's it works on a kid level, but it's also humorous as uh, as as an adult for sure. Uh, and the movie just rapidly resolves like that's the one yes. thing that feels like I think you can only get away with this in a kid movie or a family movie is like. You know, this omniscient thing that knows everything about physics and faster than light travels like, you know, I usually I take my creatures back in time. So it's seamless. But like, you know, your body and brain is just too fragile to do the time travel thing. If I do it, I'm going to fry you, kid. And the kid's like, you know, he gets home and he realizes that. I mean, it's really sad. Like, I'm never going to have a normal life because the government's never going to stop wanting to dissect my brain and my parents yeah. are going to be able to protect me. And also, like, this isn't I'm this isn't my world. And he's like, fuck it. Take me back in time anyway. And it just works out. Yeah. If it kills me, it kills me. Uh, which, you know, it's a pretty fucked up thought for a kid to have to consider. Right. Uh, right. Putting their mortality, right. putting their life on the line just to get back home. <laughs> It's pretty dark, but the thing is, it's like it felt like the movie had enough time that they could have like I'm thinking of other ways, like maybe the navigator, the spaceship is broken uh, and it needs to be repaired somehow with some special material that it has to go like someplace on Earth to get like. But like the idea of like, this is going to kill you, kid. I don't care. I I I would rather die than exist in this (laughs) configuration. And the guy's like compliance. (laughs) <laughs> and it just it just works. It just works. He wakes up and he's there and his family's ready to set off the fireworks. And his little brother's a fucking turd eater again. And there's the cute scene where he's somehow walked uh wound up at the poop burn, which God knows what kind of gremlin situation that they'll get into with that. That'd be another one to explore the, in the sequel yeah. that the whole world's been taken over by poop burns. Like this is just their larval stage and they turn into some kind of fucking <laughs> oh boy predator and they they reproduce by getting wet and yeah all that stuff you you could have max come back for that thing right like that's a reason like you know george in seinfeld does this trick where he leaves his big stupid russian hat in some woman's apartment so that he can come back later and has a reason (laughs) right max could you know come back for it that would be a reason to do a sequel to this movie that would be wild if he's like, you know, we're doing an audit uh, and uh, I got to I got to get this. Uh, I got to I got to get this poop in back. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Can't, yeah. Can't keep this That's thing. a good hook. I just yeah, I hope they do that rather than just a remake, because, again, this movie does not need to be remade. It's, no, it's close to flawless. I, I don't have any real what complaints it is. with this movie. 
Yeah, for what it is, like I said, maybe I would like change it a little bit to make it a little bit more teenager friendly or but like then it's not what it is, which is a really good family movie. There, there's um, one thing that's always bothered me about this movie, though, and it's not it's not an error. It's not anything like that. It's just strange to me. I, this is the only movie I can think of where they portray a, a really well off family because make no mistake, this family has a lot of money. They have to. That's true. That's true. To, to be living in that house in, you know, near Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a boat. Right. Have a boat. Yeah. And they're right on the water, too. The, mm-hmm. the, that's the thing about this family. They, in both timelines, live right on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, in both timelines, they live right next to heavy transportation. Like, in the 78 timeline, they live right near train tracks, which has got to be mm-hmm. just a huge annoyance. And the in the 86 timeline, they live basically in an underpass under the overpass. Right. I Yeah. It blows my mind. I went and I looked at like some of the road layouts in like Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. And mm-hmm. they do this shit. They just run a highway right up the coast. Wow. Fuck, fuck your uh, super valuable real estate. Fuck your view. Too mm-hmm. bad. You're going to have cars going by your face every single second of the day. It's wild. And that wow. always stuck with me because usually when you see these movies do like families that are well off that are living in fancy areas, they won't clutter it up with bullshit like this, right? Yeah, you're not going to live next to a fucking railroad tracks. You no, know? it'll be pristine. That's where the poor it'll... kids live. Yeah. Right. And so I kept thinking like that. Th- I kept thinking, boy, they must not be very well off if they're living in an underpass, essentially. Well, that's but, the but they thing. are. It's just Miami's fucking weird. That's the other thing I noticed, too, uh, is there's a line where the little brother is saying that, like, you know, after you died, quote unquote, my, the, our parents fell apart. Like, they're noticeably less well off, but still very well off. Kind of like the house is a little bit more run down. Their clothes aren't as nice. Like, I feel like that maybe like both of the parents lost their job, like literally fell apart psychologically. And maybe they like, you know, gave, spent all their money trying to like, I don't know, pay for private detectives or, you know, rewards or stuff like that for information. Like there's they there, there's a little bit of storytelling just visually that way. But yeah, that's the one thing. And like, I never noticed that as a kid, like. I mean, that was one of the things that was kind of refreshing about E.T. is that like Spielberg made a good attempt at making like a working class family home and what that kind of like looks like rather than. Yeah. You know, we talked about this in like home alone, like those fucking that family is well off. Uh, David's family here is extremely well off. I feel like that's the that was kind of like uh, most American thing. If you did a family thing, it's like all everybody would be uh, upper middle class, if not higher. You know, and that was like relatable, right? Right. Um, and ET is kind of like that. It's it's. Is it? I they're thought California poor, right? They're not like. Okay. Yeah, I mean they're working. They're not like poor. poor. They're like blue collar working class family. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great it's a great film. What else do you have to, to talk about? I'm I'm kind of uh, navigated out. I've been, my brain has been scanned by Max, and it's it's a <laughs> a, a puddle. I think the only other thing of real note here is the guy who did the score. Cause we've seen this name pop up so many times in the last few weeks. Alan Silvestri yeah. did mm-hmm. the score to this. And I, I don't know that it's like amazing, but 
but I'm not a good judge of scores. I very rarely even notice a score unless it's incredible. Uh, it does exactly what it needs to do. Yeah. But, you know, he, he's, he was on a big tear, especially at this time, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Back to the Future. I mean, he's so fucking prolific. Wait, he did Back to the Future? Why did I Didn't think that he? was... I'm pretty sure that was Alan Silvestri. I thought it was Barry wrong. Goldman, but no, you're right. It's back. He did do the Back to the Future films. Fuck. Yeah. Um. I do like. I do like the the Navigator theme. Like when it like uh, shifts into. It's almost like a little field of dreams. It's a very epic. Um, like when it shifts into you know class one mode and just goes like sonic booming out through the countryside. You know, there's a, it's it's, a, it's it's similar to the it's similar to the very the main theme of Rocketeer. Uh, it's just got a, like a grand kind of epic, uh, awe inspiring. This this is why this is why. So in the last few weeks, we have watched like nine of his movies: Flight of the Navigator, Predator, Mac and Me. Um, she did do Mac and Me. <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh God, and he did Super Mario Brothers. Okay, well, he had a run yeah. from '86 to '92, <laughs> right before Super yeah, Mario yeah, Brothers the, comes all out. All the Back to the Futures, The Abyss, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I mean, he was banging that. Did Clan in the Cave Bear? Uh, I mean, Back to the Future, the devil. one of the all-time great soundtracks. Period. Yeah, yeah. Forrest Gump, Judge Dredd, which also <laughs> the '95 Judge Dredd just unironically rips off David's escape from the NASA lab and lets uh, Rob Schneider. Oh, right, in the he, food yeah, cart. Robot. That's how it's. And in fact. In fact, I'd almost be willing to bet a week's pay. It's the exact same fucking prop. It might be. They just welded some Judge Dredd shit to because it's the same, <laughs> same thing. It's the exact same thing. For sure. Uh, also, Rob Schneider is as small as a 12 year old boy. So that's true. That's true. He could uh, he could easily fit in, in into that uh, mail slot. Yes. Well, Kira. Uh, I gotta say, thank you very much for having us watch this movie that turns out we're both really nostalgic for. Uh, and if you are a parent uh, listening to this podcast, maybe you've got some nostalgic feelings for this film yourself, or maybe you haven't seen it and you got some kids that are, like I said, 4 to 12 is for the prime viewing time for this. Get everybody together, uh, pop a big old por- uh, a bucket of popcorn. Uh, this thing is free to stream on Disney Plus if you're a subscriber, and I know a lot of parents are. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so check it out it's a it's a it's a it's one of those 80s gyms and man what a run in the 80s like i said in fact sit down and watch uh goonies and flight of the navigator and uh back to the future and short circuit um there isn't a very unfortunate and egregious brown face incident <laughs> throughout all of that but fucking short circuit i just we, we i watched that with jack too and he was like eight or nine i watched all of these kind of accidentally mm-hmm. uh because we did the goonies podcast about that time and uh they're they're great they're great they hold up they hold they're they're, they're well-made films and they hold up so thank you once again kira for all your support over the years uh glad that uh, we give you a lot of joy uh it's always nice to hear thank you for the incredibly kind words and the support if you'd like to find out how to commission a podcast of your own you're like eh, i think that's kind of cool i might want to uh the rocketeer yeah you'd get uh, jim's not seen that make him watch the rocketeer <laughs> Uh, go to support.baldmove.com. Uh, scroll down a little bit. One of the options is commissioning a podcast. Uh, read read the stuff, do the thing, and you too can have your own commission podcast. 
Uh, we'll be back with another one uh, real soon. Thanks for listening to Bald Move Pulp. And until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.